place of refuge. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Recent years have been hard. Our screens and minds are overwhelmed with the images of police shootings, school shootings, and mass shootings, fires, floods, and hurricanes, crying children and distraught mothers, chain link fences and razor wire. So much pain. In grief, we cry out to God. Like a tidal wave, the emotion begins in the belly and then swells, filling the chest and then the throat, the mouth, the air. In trouble and despair, confusion or frustration, when God seems far away, we cry out. Although the temples, chapels, and cathedrals of the world have provided sanctuary for the people of God throughout time, the place of refuge or safety we seek is not a space created below ceilings or between walls. It does not require stained glass or pews, big screens, projectors, or coffee bars. No, we find sanctuary anytime when in the spirit we enter the presence of the living God. Sanctuary is the place where we empty our hearts before the Lord pouring out our pain, anger, and sorrow like water. But it is also a place of remembrance and restoration where we can find and enter that space through worship. Worship is not a form of entertainment for a crowd of religious spectators. It is the way we remind our souls of who God is and what he has done. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. The sanctuary is a sacred and holy place where instinctively our heads, knees, and hearts bow in reverence around the altar. The altar provides a table both uh, for communion and sacrifice. There we remember and consume the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus. There we offer up our own for healing and divine use. There we surrender our fears, cares, and worries. There we recall that we have been given new life. In times like these, we need both physical and figurative altars and sanctuaries within our homes, ourselves, and our communities, places where we can pause to worship, pray and cry before the living God, places of stillness and quiet, places of beauty and holiness. Once my husband and a friend created a prayer labyrinth in the parking lot of a church in an urban Portland neighborhood. The friend, an engineer, laid out the design with stones and we framed it out with cinder blocks, wooden rails, potted plants and flowers. Seats and posts were placed in the corners, encouraging visitors to sit and pray. We prayed for the children of our community, for the police and the political leaders of our city, and for the poor and the oppressed throughout the land. 
as we walk the path of that labyrinth, praying from the start to the center and out again, tears became sighs. Sighs became silence. Silence became peace. And peace became hope. In the sanctuary, we can remember God. The image and reality of the King of Glory can be reconstructed from the severed pieces, the dismemberment of his identity in our minds and hearts by the trials and circumstances of our lives can be undone and our faith rebuilt. The sanctuary reminds us of who he is and what he has done. And this reconstructs our hope. So while I cry out like Asaph at the hardness of the world and perhaps this life, I will return to the sanctuary again and again to remind myself that the word of God is still true. Jesus is still risen. Our God is yet so great a God and therefore will I hope. chance to meet you. My name's Paul, um, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Groves. Um, thank you, Donna, for that reading from uh, your book. So many of the same themes we're all thinking about uh, this morning, the themes of lament, the themes of hope in the midst of lament. Um, I've been tasked with talking about the fact that today is Pentecost. Um, you know, a traditional Christian celebration that's been going on for a couple thousand years. And um, I actually titled my talk, uh, Pentecost, Hope in the Midst of Occupation. And there were so many of these same themes uh, in, in Donna's reading, so thank you. Acts 2.1 says this, Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. The context we're in today reframes this for me. I think we've always celebrated Pentecost as this um, kind of joyous day. Because it's the day that we remember uh, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. Um, we often remember these experiences that we've had uh, with the Spirit of God, these moments of, of joy or elation or, or euphoria or bliss or uh, these kind of moments that we have, these uh, religious experiences, for lack of better terms. But as I was reflecting on what, what Pentecost was for that, that first audience, um, you know, I, I, I just started looking at what was, what was that day. The day was actually called the Feast of Weeks was on that day. And it was called Pentecost um, because it was 50 days after Passover. And so it was this um, celebration of the harvest of first fruits. 
being somebody who loves food, <laughs> I love that idea that because that's when you know food is the freshest. Is when it's the the first fruits, the stuff that that has come in from the harvest, and 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 you're immediately having it. It's not being stored. It's this uh, kind of visceral moment, this thing that you get to experience. But I started considering what was their context for this celebration. Right? Certainly some of them lived close enough to Jerusalem that they had made this journey before and they had had this celebration before. But this time it was different. Right? They, had, they had done this before. They had celebrated the harvest coming in, which meant uh, an immense amount more, I think, than it would even to us the way our food chain is. We don't have that closeness or that interaction uh, with the earth and with, with the times of sowing and, and harvest, right? But they would have. And so this would have had so many good memories for them, I think. But the context for them then uh, was different, right? They lived under empirical rule, right? The rule of, of Rome. And it was brutal, murderous at times. Their local and uh, like religious and civil authorities were often corrupt. They had witnessed um, this corruption and brutality lead to the terrorizing, the torture, and the unjust execution of someone they loved dearly, namely Jesus. So all over America, though, we're waking up to a very similar, if not a same context today. We live in a land that's occupied by an empire. In full disclosure, I've served as a soldier, a law enforcement soldier of that empire. I served as a military policeman. And when I think about that and think, I always reflect on like, what would I tell somebody asking, should I serve in this, this army, this military, the Marines, whatever, of, of this empire, of our nation? And I'm always drawn to what John uh, said when he was calling people to repentance. And there's this interaction uh, painted, a picture of him uh, giving advice to a Roman soldier. And the advice was, don't be corrupt. Don't be brutal. Don't extort. And so I would say that same thing because we need, uh, I mean, there's images all over uh, in Scripture of the need for uh, governing and the need for the enforcement of law. But when it is corrupt and when it is brutal and when it does not um, come from a place of care for the fellow citizen, it becomes uh, demonic. We experience some of these same things. Our local religious and civil authorities are sometimes corrupt. And we've witnessed the brutality and executions of those like George Floyd. I think they were traumatized. I think many of us are traumatized. But in the midst of their trauma, in the midst of the occupation, they waited and hoped. They hoped because they, because they had also witnessed a first fruit of what was to come. Right? The death that was put upon Jesus didn't take. 
<laughs> he had told them to wait, and so they waited. Verse 2 from that same passage says, Suddenly a sound like a violent and blowing, a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spread out like a fire appeared on them and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. So and this might not have been as crowded as the time of Passover, but it was crowded. There were the images from everywhere. All kinds of people were in Jerusalem. Verse 6, when this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in, and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all, the, all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language about the great deeds God has done. Consider what is happening on this day that's meant to celebrate the beginning of harvest. I loved what Craig Keener, commentator, says about this. He says, the Spirit moved the church into multicultural diversity under Christ's lordship. Now, as I considered this, it's obvious to me from study of church history and theological history that white colonizing minds have interpreted this image as a mandate for Western missions and, and then all that comes with that, the good and the bad. But I think a stronger image uh, that is here is an image of healing and reconciliation, perhaps even uh, an image of the undoing of the, cur the curse that happened at the Tower of Babel. That place where uh, man was, was spread out and they couldn't understand one another, right? This is this image of, of language uh, being uh, displayed, praising God all in one place, people from all nations coming together to be the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 12, all were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying they are drunk on new wine. <laughs> there will always be detractors of the expression of the kingdom of God. Verse 14, but Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed them. You men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken uh, about through the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to quote Joel. And in the last days, it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. 
And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in the midst of this time of trauma, we find ourselves kind of in a similar spot. We're waiting. Waiting for that fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And not a passive waiting. We have, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the teachings of Jesus. We have scripture. We have the history of the church. We have each other. And this is a time we can work to try to realize this image, this image of all people, all types, being having the Spirit of God poured out upon them. And this image of this beautiful, I, I gotta read that line again because I just love that. And I'll, and I'll just close with this because this is the hope. This is the hope of the greater church, I believe, but specifically it's the hope that we here at the Gross are trying to work on becoming uh, more so every day. And that's this fact, that at that day, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit moved the church into multicultural diversity under Christ's Lordship. And he did that through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I love you guys. I miss seeing you in person. So let us pray. Lord, we come together before you in solidarity, in our anger and our grief and all the emotions in between. We are grieved and angered of this country's racism and its idolization of the mythology of American exceptionalism. We are grieved and angered of some of our own circles of connections and sometimes even ourselves, who so often fall into what Dr. King described as the white moderates whose casual complicity, privileged indifference, and silence helps maintain the systemic evils of racism and oppression. We are grieved and angry by the silence of the church and as Donna mentioned, their cheap grace, lack of action for things that don't cost them anything directly. Lord, we do not want to feel better about this because we're not supposed to feel comfortable with hate racism, and modern-day lynchings. In solidarity, we reject and rebuke this sickness. We lament the lost lives of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and the countless others as the list continues to grow. Lord, have mercy on us. Let us not fast forward through the emotions we are feeling, for you gave us the ability to be grieved and angered by injustice. You are not a God of complicity or indifference. Your gospel is led by those in the margins, and you are a God who is with us. How profoundly you must be moved, disturbed, grieved, and angered by this. May your Holy Spirit stir in us and incline our hearts to love, compassion, and justice. 
May you guide us to take a posture of listening to our African American brothers and sisters and other people of color, that we can focus on their words over the loud noises and distractions that seek to silence them. May we not expect them to tiptoe around our feelings any longer. Help us to listen well. Help us to take the initiative to learn their stories and the names. Help us move into action. And may you incline our hearts towards justice. We pray this together again in solidarity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.